This is going to be a walkthrough, a quick overview of NMR as I expect you to understand it, which will be slightly different from the videos done by Dr. Link. Um, and I'll also do some problem solving. So let's start off with these two structures here. We know the four things that NMR spectroscopy, that proton NMR spectroscopy will tell you is the number of unique hydrogens, which is the signal, the total number of hydrogens, which is the integration value, the local environment as evidenced by chemical shift and the number of neighbors that are three sigma bonds away. That's our splitting pattern. So if we look at this structure, let's start off and erase these to the left. The first question I'm gonna ask you is how many unique protons are there? The first thing you should notice is that this molecule is symmetric in multiple ways. So if I was to label the different um, signals, I would call, excuse not black, this A. This is also A because they have the same connectivity. They're both CH3s connected to this carbon right here. So they're going to get the same signal. The whole molecule is symmetric, so these are also going to be A. The center ones are going to be B. They're the same because they're symmetric. So you're expecting two signals. A should have 3, 6, 9, 12, 12 H. B should have how many? Remember that there are four bonds to carbon. So this is going to integrate to 2H. So now you look at A and you have to look three sigma bonds away. So let's, let's look at the one on the right just to make it easier. So let's say I have, this is the hydrogens. And there's a hydrogen here. I want to go three sigma bonds away. So if I'm talking about this one up here, this is one sigma bond, two sigma bonds, three sigma bonds. So this is the only neighboring proton is the one off of B. So the splitting pattern for A is going to be a doublet, which we will abbreviate to D. The splitting pattern for B, because it has how many neighbors? It has six. Because of the M plus one rule, it's going to be a septet. You can either write septet um, or you can write multiplet, because once you get past six, I find that it gets a little bit um, unnecessary. Sometimes if I want you to know exactly how many numbers there are, I'll say it's a septet, I'll say a multiplet, but it's, it's got seven peaks to it. So now that tells you, so let's talk about, I did this in a slightly different order, but um, let's talk about where you expect the chemical shift to be. You expect, B to be further downfield than A. So relatively speaking, this is going to be downfield. So at a higher chemical shift number, this will be upfield. So now we have all the information you would expect from a spectra. Now let's look at another compound with the same molecular formula and see how the signal would change, how the spectrum would change. So the first thing you can see, and I kind of have it hidden, hidden or shown here, is that there is a point of symmetry on the right side. So you have this isopropyl looking group. So that methyl groups are gonna be A, they're gonna give the same signal. 
the center one, we can call that B. Now we're ignoring the oxygen in the middle because it doesn't have hydrogen. When you start going to the left side, coming out from the oxygen, you have C because that looks different than everything else, D because that looks different from everything else, and E. So you're going to have five signals. Let's talk about the integration. So A, there's two of them with three hydrogens each. So A is going to have six hydrogens. B, give me one hydrogen. C is going to be two hydrogens. D is going to be two hydrogens. And E is going to be three hydrogen. That's the integration value. It's very easy to get this confused with splitting patterns. So let me write A, B, C, D, E. And then let's talk about splitting patterns. So, well, let's talk about uh, chemical shift. So you would expect B and C to be the most downfield because they are closest to the oxygen. Remember, electronegative atoms cause things to move downfield. Now, would you expect C or B to be further? Something to think about. All right, so let's go back to A. So we know that um, A is going to integrate to 6H. What splitting pattern do you expect? So it's the M plus one rule. So A has one hydrogen neighbor. So M plus one means two, so it's going to be a doublet. It's 6H doublet. B is going to integrate to one hydrogen. It has six neighbors, so this is going to be a multiplet. So I'm going to abbreviate it as M. C has two neighboring hydrogens. It integrates to 2H and has two neighboring hydrogens. So it's going to be a triplet. D also integrates to two hydrogens, but it has two neighboring hydrogens off of C and three neighboring hydrogens off of uh, e. So that's five hydrogen, five neighboring hydrogens plus one is six. So it's going to be a sextet. And E is going to integrate to 3H. It has two neighboring hydrogens. So it's going to be a triplet. It's two plus one is three. That's how two compounds with the same chemical formula will get two very different NMR spectra. Now I talk about this brief, or I know this is covered, but I want to reemphasize some diagnostic NMR signals. You know you have an ethyl group, or you likely have an ethyl group if you have a 2H quartet and a 3H triplet. And this continues for the multiples. So if you have a 4H quartet or a 6H triplet, you're probably looking at two ethyl groups. If we call um, the 2H quartet A and the 3H triplet B, it's going to be A is the one closest to whatever, and B is going to be the methyl on the end. It's important to note, though, that whatever is connected to that A cannot have any hydrogens on it, or else you'll get a different signal. Some other diagnostic feature, if you have an aromatic ring, you can tell if it's para-substituted, meta-substituted, or substituted. That doesn't mean a whole lot to you right now, but what I'm saying is you can tell if it's either 1,4 di-substituted, 1,3 di-substituted, or 1,2 di-substituted. Whoops. Now, if it is para, if it's 1,4 di-substituted, you're either going to expect 
a 2H doublet or a 4H singlet? What's the difference? So if the, if the groups, so if we call it one, I probably should have numbered it not two, but if one and two, so those are the one fourth I substitute groups, if they're the same thing, Oh, what did I say for it? Oh, if they're the same thing, all the hydrogens on the ring are exactly the same. And things that are the same can't see each other. So this will give you your 4H integration with a singlet splitting pattern, as if there are no other hydrogens nearby. If these two groups are different, you're going to end up with 2H doublets because this one, so if you call this A, these are going to be the same, and these are going to be the same. That's why they're 2H, and they're going to see only one neighbor. One, one plus one is two, so that's why you get a double. If you have one, three that I substituted, you can expect to have <clears throat> four signals. You will have A at this peak. It's going to be one H. It has no neighboring hydrogen, so it's going to be a singlet. B and D, which this depends on if one and two are the same, will be 2H and a doublet because they only have the one neighbor here at the point. C will be a 1H integration, but it will have a triplet because of B and D. If you have orthos I substituted, if one and two are the same, you'll get symmetric. They will, and don't forget if one and two have protons, they'll also have a but you get two signals and a one, two as well, you'd have A as a 2H doublet or B as a 2H doublet. You can have a carboxylic acid. We'll give you a broad singlet somewhere between 10 to 13, typically around 12. That is very diagnostic of a carboxylic acid. Aldehydes will give you a singlet at 9.5 to 10. Other things to note, if you have an integration value that's above three, it means you have some kind of symmetry in your molecule, and that is something that you should pay attention to. Let's do this first problem real quick, and then I'll make a separate recording to do a more complicated problem. Something you need to know about is in carbon-13 NMR, you can do something called DEPT, or you can, it can have splitting itself. So let's take this compound I've drawn here, which is going to be 2-methyl-2-butanol. Remember, carbon-13 tells you how many different carbons you have. So in this compound, you have four different carbons. So let's call it A. B is one in the center, C, and D. Now, if you have a DEPT spectrum, you'll see something that looks kind of like this, where you will have any peak that is pointing upwards, means that you have one or three hydrogens connected to it. Any peak pointing downwards means you have two hydrogens connected to it. And any peak that disappears means that you have no hydrogens connected to it. Okay. Now, if we are going to do, um, if you get splitting, the splitting patterns for carbon NMR tell you how many hydrogens are attached to that specific carbon. So let's actually label this. So this one at the end that disappears is going to be B because there are no hydrogens on that carbon. And then the chemical shift rules apply as usual. 
So I usually go with the ones I can tell. So I know that the one that flips has to be the CH2. There's only one, so that's going to be peak C. That leaves me D and A to decide who goes where. Then it's a question of which is closer to my electronegative group. A is closer, so A can be the furthest down field, and D will be the one next to B, the one that disappears. Now, if I was to have a carbon uh, 13 spectrum that shows splitting patterns, A would show a quartet because there's three hydrogens on that carbon. B would be a singlet because there's none. C would be a triplet because that carbon has two hydrogens. And D would also be a quartet. And now let's look at the carbon. Um, yeah, so that's the example of how this works. So let's do a quick example with the C4H8O spectrum. This is just an HNMR spectrum. I've given you the integration values and the splitting on the, on the spectrum. The first thing that should catch your attention is this peak furthest downfield at around 9.8. If you remember from the diagnostic peaks, that's most likely, most likely an aldehyde peak. So that means you're looking at this hydrogen right here. Because it's a triplet, it tells you that on the other side of that double bond is going to be a CH2. You know, it looks like that. You have a quartet triplet 2H3H pattern, but if you just draw that straight out and put it next to the aldehyde, you don't have the right chemical formula. So this is one of those instances where that pattern is a little bit misleading. But let's write down what we do now. We know we have 2H, I'm talking about this one. This is gonna be 2H, it's next to a methyl group. The next one we know is you have 2H sextet. So that could be, that means it has to have five neighbors. So if we can be talking about this one, it's gonna have a CH2 on one side, a CH3 on the other side. Then we have a 3H triplet, which means it's gotta be a methyl group next to CH2. And so you try to map these up so they all overlap. And if you do that, you should find that you get this structure. So let's label it. We have A, maybe this one. Remember there's no hydrogens here at the carbonyl, so it's not gonna have a signal in the HMR spectra. B is gonna be our 2H triplet. Wait, quartets. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, this is gonna be B. C is going to be our uh, sextet. And D, which is at the end, is gonna be, what am I writing? I don't understand that. Uh, D is going to be our 3H triplet. B. 2H quartet. Did I write that Apologies for the interruption. I want to finish up the video and then we'll go through a couple problems. So you can see how I approach these problems. Mind you, there's more than one right way. Do find a way that works for you. So we have a compound and I had labeled everything. And you'll notice at the end of the previous um, recording that I 
switched to B&D because I was like, something's not right. So what was that something's not right that, that made me look at my structure again? Well, it's that this 2H quartet was down at like 2.3, 2.4, which means it's going to need to be near this carbonyl because that's the electron withdrawing group. So A, the neighbors it has is going to be on B. So that is why it's a 1H triplet. C and D also make sense. C has five neighbors, so it's going to be a sextet. D has two neighbors, it's a triplet. So the question is, why is B a quartet? Well, you have to remember to look for both sides. So C has two hydrogens, and A itself is one hydrogen. That's three hydrogens total, and that's why you get three plus one, so it's a quartet. And that catches me too, so as you saw. So don't be surprised. So don't be ashamed or embarrassed if you get caught with that too. All right, so let's go down to the next problem. This is going to be more like how you see, this is one of the ways I will present uh, spectral data to you. Um, and there was a typo and I, it's a copy paste, so well, let me fix it, but it's supposed to be a 4H triplet. So we have a formula of C6H10O. A good place to start is to calculate the IHD, which is going to be two times the number of carbons plus two minus the number of hydrogens. And I don't have to do the rest because I don't have any of the other atoms. So this ends up being 12 plus two, which is 14 minus 10 is four over two, so two. The two degrees of um, unsaturation. I have two values that have integration values over three. So we have a 4H here, and we have a 4H here. It's gonna mean symmetry. Because I have three signals, one of the easiest things to assume, and this comes with practice, is that I'm probably gonna have a six-sided ring because this allows me to create a plane of symmetry down the middle where these will be the same, these will be the same, and these will be the same if there's nothing else going on. So I know that I need to have an oxygen, but the oxygen can't have any hydrogens because I don't have a broad singlet anywhere. So the easiest way to do that is to either do an ether or to do a carbonyl. So now you can approach this by just drawing some structures and checking to see if they'll give you what you want. So because I have this 2H IHD, I need two degrees of unsaturation. So I could draw this ether and I'll go, okay, the ends will give me 4H, but they only have one neighbor. So they'd be a doublet. maybe okay but then if i go to this next one so if i go to the next carbon that would only be a 2h and it has two or so that could be quite that then you've got um this right here which is c but this only has one neighbor so this would have to be a doublet so you'd have to have a 2h doublet or sorry you'd have to have a 4h doublet or H doublet, which you don't have. So this is not the structure. You can try moving those double bonds around, but you'll end up finding yourself back at the six-membered ring. Now I'm gonna put a carbonyl here because I know that the answer is, and I'll label it so that you can see what's happening. So there's symmetry here. So if I look at A, A is 2H, it's got two neighbors, it's going to be a triplet, so this is A. B is two hydrogen is four hydrogens because you have both sides. 
it's got four neighbors, so it's a quintet. C is two hydrogens, but it's got four neighbors, so it's also a quintet. How do I know this is the order? Because the closer you are to the electron withdrawing group, the further downfield you'll be. So A needs to be the hydrogens that are close to the carbonyl, so that it can be at 2.34, and so on and so forth. Now, the next problem is another way you'll see me do it. And I'll give you all the spectral data, and you are expected to interpret all of it. And this will go all the way through order two. So this is not something you can say, if I don't get it, I'll just not worry about it in order two. It will come back. You may want to pull up the um, Spectra Peaks handout, which is posted on Canvas. This will be helpful for interpreting IR and carbon NMR and HNMR spectra. Sorry, the transcript box popped on top of the share button. Okay, let's go back here. So this is how you can expect to see. You can start wherever you like. I tend to start with the NMR, the HNMR, because it's easier for me. Um, it gives me a place to, to approach. But I'm going to go in order for this example just, and then go back and forth as I need to double check my answer. I know I have my molecular formula up here, so I can do an IHD calculation, which... Um, Okay, let's do it. Two times 10 plus two minus 13 plus one over two being 22 minus 14. Sorry, I did. I cannot do math. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> not, not great. Let's just do it in order. 22 minus 13, which is not 10, nine, nine plus one. Five, five over two, I, wow, is 10 over two, which equals five. Anytime you have a number above four, you want to start thinking benzene ring, which looks like this. I will give you diagnostic peak information in the IR data. Um, I'm going to add some, some extra information here. So, The 3280 peak, if you look at the IR peaks, because I didn't say it was broad, you know it's not an alcohol or a hydroxyl group, but it is higher than your CH stretches because your CH stretches tend to sit at 2,800 to 3,000. So this tells you that this is going to be some kind of amine or NH containing NH stretch. The specifics of what it is, unknown. This 1660 peak is right in that perfect carbonyl spot. So we're going to say that's a C one O stretch. So we know a lot about our compound already. In the mass spec data, the parent peak doesn't tell us a lot because we already knew that we had an odd number of nitrogen, but having an, uh, um, we have one nitrogen, but having an odd master charge value tells us that as well. Now the base peak, I didn't mention this when we did mass spec, but there's a couple of predictable fragmentation patterns. For example, if you have a hydroxyl group, you'll see something pop off with 18 because it pops off in the form of water. If you see 43, you're seeing an acetate, which looks like this. And so this would be 12 for the carbon, 12 for this carbon, 16 for the oxygen, and then the three hydrogen over here. And this gives you your 43 mass to charge. So this makes sense because I have my carbonyl peak at 1660, and now I'm saying I have an acetate. Great. The carbon NMR, which I'm going to zoom in on, will tell us how many unique carbon signals we have. So we have a DPT, which is really helpful. If you remember, any time 
a peak disappears, it means it has no hydrogens. If it flips, it's a CH2. So you know that this peak down here at around 60 is a CH2. You know, all the ones that are upright are either one or three hydrogens. And these three are going to be carbons that have no hydrogens attached. We know that at least one of these is going to be our carbonyl carbon. Um, hopefully, depending on what's on the other side. So we go down to our proton and MR. Now, you, I tend to start downfield, upfield, but it really depends on how I'm feeling. So I want to bring your attention to this peak sitting here at eight. You might be thinking, oh, it's going to be an aldehyde. No. And you know it's not because of this sentence here where it says it exchanges with D2O on warming. What this tells us is that it's going to be um, hydrogen bonding with something. So most likely it's going to be that NH thing that we found from our IR spectrum. Now we confirm we have a benzene ring because we have these peaks that are kind of centered around 7.2. This pattern of a 2H doublet is indicative of, and this is one of the diagnostic ones you should know, a 1,4 dye substitution. We have a 2H quartet, 3H triplet, which tells us we have an ethyl. And then we have this 3H singlet, which would be best represented by the acetate ion we know we have. So the things we need to put together are a 1,4 di-substituted aromatic ring, an acetate, an ethyl group, and then an N that has some NH, and it's only got one H, so we know it's, it's got to be um, di-substituted. So you need to have that in there. And then we know we have an oxygen that has no Hs, so it's probably going to be an ether of some sort. We know that our ethyl is next to nothing. Um, change that, let me put that zero. We know it's next to zero hydrogens. And so we can start piecing our structure together. And I, again, I know the answer to this question, so I'm gonna shortcut it a little bit. Um, and you'll have an idea of what to expect structure-wise. Um, there will be hints, either I'll give you a synthesis so you're not completely trying to figure it out with no help. Okay, so I have my benzene ring. I'm gonna do my one four sub. I'm going to look at where the chemical shifts are. So this um, 2H quartet is at a four. So it's probably next to one of the hetero, one of the electronegative atoms, probably oxygen more than nitrogen because oxygen is more electronegative. So just for the purposes here, first guess, we'll put the oxygen and then the ethyl attached to it. Now on the other side, we still have to, that takes care of that extra oxygen we didn't know what to do with. Now we have to figure out what's happening over here. So we've got this 1H broad singlet that's way far downfield. So that means it's gotta be impacted by other, other features besides being on a nitrogen. So we're gonna try to max out what's happening. So let's do, so if I did this, That's a valid structure because 
you'll remember that um, heteroatoms, and this may, I don't know if this is mentioned, heteroatoms act like bodyguards. So anything, so if the heteroatom has a hydrogen, no neighboring hydrogens can see it and it can't see any neighboring hydrogens. So if I do this, I end up with, and I'm gonna label all of the carbons because that'll help us when we start to label our, all of our spectra and you should be labeling all of your spectra, GH. So A should be a 3H singlet. Oh, I guess I shouldn't have skipped that, that hydrogen, should I? No, I should not have. All right, hold on, let's see. If, oh, we're gonna have a eraser problem right now. Okay, whatever. So I, I, I'll just label this um, as I. Okay, so I is gonna be a broad singlet. B has no, so this is gonna be one of those um, in the CNMR, one of the ones that has no hydrogens. So is C. D is gonna be a 2H doublet. E is going to be a 2H doublet. And then we have our 2H quartet, 3H triplet. So you're like, okay, everything matches up in terms of I have all the signals I expect. You start looking at um, the carbon NMR spectra and go, does this all make sense? Does this all make sense? And you're mostly on board with it except something about the chemical shifts feels off. So let's try drawing it a different way. If we label this as A, B, C, D, E, F. G, H, I. And when I say something's off, it's because this nitrogen is connected to this carbonyl, which is withdrawing, but it wouldn't send it so far down towards even more than the aromatic ring. By putting the nitrogen between the aromatic ring and this carbonyl, it has a lot of electron withdrawing going on, and that would be enough to put it really far downfield. So if I then label my spectra, the 3H singlet is going to be A. We know that the 3H triplet is I. Um, oh, so what you can do actually to, to make things easier on you is I tend to label my hydrogens and carbons differently. So let me do that so we can keep track of what I'm doing. Okay, so the hydrogens will be letters. So A, B, C, D, E, F. So I'm expecting six unique signals in my proton NMR, which I have. So I labeled A, I'm gonna relabel I as F. And this is gonna be E. Then in my ring, I have to decide which, which side is more electron withdrawing. Just gonna, hold on, I have to sneeze. We know that B is going to be the broad singlet down at the end. We know that I got AEF, right? Yeah, AEF. So now I have to decide between C and D, which are these two. Now, when you look at the structure, 
they're both near electron withdrawing. However, the nitrogen, the amide part, because of this extra carbonyl, gives it a little bit of oomph. So it's going to be the one that's further down. So this will be C and this will be D. Now I'm going to label it, label the carbons with numbers so we can track them in the carbon. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. And we know there's eight unique signals. The CH2 is obviously going to be seven. The ethyl group has the least electronegative stuff happening to it. Or the end of, one second. Sorry, so the methyls are the furthest away from the ring. So that's your um, eight and one. So they are most likely going to be, hold on, my computer's freezing. The ones on the lower end. So the one furthest away is going to be eight. So eight's going to be down here at, what is that, like 10? And then we're going to put one next to it because one is directly bonded to a heteroatom. Like we said, the one that's flipped is going to be seven. These other two up have to be the ones on the aromatic ring. They'll follow the same pattern we saw in the proton NMR. So it's going to be five, then four. then we have to do the no proton having ones. So, and this is again where the spectral um, handout will be really helpful. The one furthest down is going to be, I just lost the number. I need two, three, and six. So this is gonna be two. Three and six. Again, you follow the rule of the ones that are going to be closer to the electronegative. Oh, did I flip that? Yeah, so that. So that's how you'd label it. And then, like I said, you'd label these other peaks here diagnostically. All right, I will make a separate recording for the next one because this is already long. One more and I'm gonna go a little faster. So this is what you can expect to see um, once we start getting into reactions. So an alcohol A with molecular formula of, I can't even read that. C9H12O was reacted with PCC and DCM to form compound B. The spectral data for B is below. Draw the structure of B and label all diagnostic spectral data. So you haven't learned this yet, but when you have an alcohol and you react with PCC, you end up with a ketone or an aldehyde. So for me, the first thing I do is go, okay, what did the PCC do to go ketone or aldehydes? So I'll scroll down to my proton NMR and look if I have a singlet peak or look and see if I have a peak down by nine. I don't, so I'm looking at a ketone. Great. Um, I know I have a carbonyl already, so having this peak at 1715 is not a surprise. My M plus dot is 134 mass charge. 
I have one at 91 and I have one at 43. Um, if I remember correctly, I think six times 12 is 60, 72 plus, hmm, that's not right. So yeah, but the 43 comes with the acetate. So I probably have this, which makes sense because I have a ketone. The question is, so is it on the end? The UV just tells me I have an aromatic ring. We haven't covered this yet, but this tells me that I have a benzene ring. You can also do that by calculating the IHD, which would be two times nine plus two minus 12. So 18 plus two is 20 minus 12 is eight. Eight divided by two is four. So that's my benzene ring. This is when I scoot down to my HNMR and I usually come back to the CNMR. Yes, I have a benzene. I have a 5H multiplet, which is indicative of a monosubstituted benzene ring. Because the other five points will kind of merge together. I have a 2H singlet and a 3H singlet. And I also have... I have to figure out what to do with my, um, my acetate group. I know that I have, these are proton decoupled, so I have one CH2 and I have one C that has four things and no hydrogens, which is going to be this mono substitution point. And then I have some other ones. And I do have this one down here around 210-ish, which is going to be the carbonyl carbon. So now the question is, how do I put this all together? I already have six carbons and I only get three more. And I know two of them have to be in the acetate. So I'm gonna say, all right, I have my 2H, I'll make this my two, it's further downfield, so it's gonna be next to the aromatic ring. I'm gonna make this the carbonyl carbon, because that'll also keep it further downfield. And then I'll go out and haul this a methyl, and this will give me my 3H. So now I'm gonna label my hydrogens with letters, so A, B, C, D, E, Um, this is just messy, so you can't tell exactly what's happening. So I'm just going to label all of the aromatic ring as C. Although if I could, if I had a good um, instrument, I could probably separate these out a little better. So this is going to be that. So this is going to be C. The 2H is going to be B. It's a singlet because there's no neighboring hydrogens. And this is going to be A. Then I will label the carbons with numbers. So one, two, one, three, four, five, six, seven. Go up to my carbon NMR. The CH2 is going to be three. The one that's lowest down is going to be one. I know that my carbonyl is the one highest up, so it's by two. And then the one that disappears is going to be four, and then the rest are um, going to be kind of like these are just the C's, or I guess they're not C's, they're, they're um, five, six, and seven. You could probably um, figure out which one they are, but I'm okay if you just lump them together and say five through seven, that's a little bit tricky to analyze. And so the final spectrum I have here, what you can tell 
is that this peak down at 10 is a singlet. This is corresponding to an aldehyde. I don't know if I wrote a marker formula for this. I did not. You have an ethyl group and you have a benzene. So even if you don't have a molecular formula, you know that you have this splitting pattern, which is one four di substituted. You know that you have to have an aldehyde and you have to have an ethyl. And because this is a quartet triplet and these are the only signals in there, this is gonna be the structure of your compound. You can walk through and double check your, the answer and make sure it makes sense to you. Good luck.